0: Welcome to the Smarter Healthcare Podcast, where we meet the brightest minds transforming healthcare with your host, Kathy Susich. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. Our guest today is Kevin Ross, CEO of Precision Driven Health. Kevin is here to talk to us about machine learning in healthcare and the ethical considerations we should take when implementing machine learning. It's a timely and fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Kevin, for joining the podcast today.
1: Pleasure. Thanks, Kathy.
0: First, could you talk to me about your organization, Precision Driven Health? What's your mission?
1: So, Precision Driven Health is a partnership in New Zealand, and our mission is to create the capability to optimize health decisions for every individual in and fa- in their family. We call that whānau in New Zealand by combining the data that's available and the models that are available about a person. So, we actually pull together people from the health sector who are involved in healthcare delivery, along with software developers, academics. Um, and the government even to help understand how decisions are made and how we could improve that.
0: We've heard a lot about machine learning in healthcare. How advanced are we right now?
1: So healthcare is in a lot of ways behind the rest of the experience that we have uh, as individuals, especially as consumers. Uh, We're getting much more used to our data being used in different ways uh, for how we shop, how we bank, all these other areas. And health always feels somewhat behind. However, at the same time, there's a huge amount of research going on in health, and health has always been a very research-led industry. And so the whole idea of machine learning and artificial intelligence um, is going to come in a, at a great pace over the next uh, few years because of all the work that's been, been going on in the background, trying to integrate the same concepts from other industries into the health sector. But it's fair to say that health is, uh, is slower to move, and... In a lot of ways, that's a good thing. We, we're making very important decisions about individuals and society. And so we don't want to make those in an ill-informed way. And we want to make sure that we're retaining the really high level of trust that we have between people and those who provide care and advice to them. And by bringing machines into that conversation, it can introduce all sorts of dynamics um, that we know can be really beneficial, but also can... Uh, Add some risks to that.
0: And what are some of the ethical challenges when it comes to machine learning?
1: So one of the core pieces of of machine learning is is really understanding uh, the way that models are going to be used in practice. So in healthcare in particular, we have a real history of only changing the advice that we give after a really thorough and rigorous process around understanding. So we do clinical trials in certain ways. Uh, because we we know historically that you can make mistakes, that just because something uh, looks like a pattern in a short term doesn't mean it's necessarily going to flow out to the rest of the examples that you, you try that on. And so with machine learning, you're almost going from a world where you do really slow, thorough, methodical research to what I think of as real-time research. So you're actually seeing a patient in real time and you're essentially getting a machine to help with the analysis that would usually take the form of a person racking their brain for everything they know about the individual in front of them uh, and everything they have get, got in their education, matching those things together and saying, you know, the best thing for me to tell you right now is, is this piece of advice, um, this sort of, this is my diagnosis or this is my recommendation. When you bring artificial intelligence or machine learning into that, you're, you're really asking to accelerate that whole process and essentially to do that pattern matching in real time and also sometimes to even invite the machine to discover new things in real time. So you're asking questions on the spot that you may not have, the, that no one's ever had a chance to really think about in, a, in broader terms. And therefore no one's done sort of a traditional clinical trial to really think about all the things that could go wrong within that. So we, so as soon as you start asking a machine to say, you know, based on the person in front of me, tell me about people like this. Um, it could tell you all sorts of things. And that, invites the possibility of you know, unexpected consequences in there. So the, the machine might recognize patterns that aren't true, or you, you might see someone, um, you might have data that's not particularly reliable, either about the person who's, uh, who, to whom you're giving advice or within the population that it's comparing them against. And by, by doing that sort of real time on the fly research, you could easily uh, give advice that's not actually appropriate to that person there's also all sorts of things that happen when you build models that need to be really thought carefully about. So in particular, you know, models are only as good as the data that goes into them. And also the incentives that you get them give them. So one of the sort of classic areas in health is, are you aiming to give the best possible medical advice or Treat it in the most efficient way, um, and again, depending on the incentives that the machine is building those models on, that that advice could be nuanced by you know what it's actually trying to achieve. Is it trying to get someone out the door quickly? Is it trying to um, get them the, the, the best possible return for the consumer or the best possible return for the for the organisation that's funding their healthcare? There's, there's there's a lot of different players involved in healthcare.
0: And are there examples of bad machine learning that we've done in healthcare that you could give? So one
1: of the biggest challenges in applying machine learning in health is that we often have data that's either missing or that we have to make inferences from. One of the areas that's particularly challenging is when people are trying to approximate um, the level of need in the population. At one level, people who have to see medical professionals a lot are seen to be at higher needs and those who don't see them very often are seen at low needs. However, if you think of that from an access perspective, those who are unable to get treatment will also appear under those who are, um, who are seeing their medical professionals less often. So there have been studies out there that have tried to build a model based and compare, for example, uh, different ethnic groups in terms of their actual need for a particular health condition and because they've used the frequency at which they're presented with that condition as their proxy for how prevalent it is within that population, you've seen, for example, Black Americans in certain circumstances come up as not a very high needs group for a particular uh, medical need, where the reality appears to be that the reason they haven't presented very often is actually because of the access. So they haven't had access to get that treatment and therefore they, they don't seem to get to the doctor as often. They don't tend to... Uh, have those services as as frequently. So if you think of that from a machine learning perspective, when often we have to put these interpretations across the data, we're wanting to say, you know, when we see a a patient present for the first time, we want to compare them with people like them. If we use some of these proxies for their needs, based on the population history that we have, and again, doing all of the good data analysis that that you do, the way that the machine might interpret that could, could make the mistake that a human makes just as easily. So just as easily say, well, actually people like you don't tend to have this condition, so it's probably not that. Where actually people like you perhaps haven't been able to get treatment for this condition at a, at a, at a particularly high rate. Um, and, and that happens all the time in health these days. It's people who are not well represented in the historical data tends to not have the, the same level of accuracy in the models that are being presented. Another one that, that we come up against being in New Zealand is that we often find we're translating research that's being done in the United States or perhaps in Europe that's almost exclusively been tuned for populations that are not the same makeup as New Zealand's population. So we've seen proposals to bring in models that have never been che- uh, tested against our Maori population, for example, who are the native people in New Zealand, that make up you know, 15 or 20% of our population, and therefore they're much less likely to benefit from um, the models and, pota- and potentially those those models that are being brought in from international studies are often likely to miss particular needs in their, um, in their health, not through any specific design flaw, but just simply because the research has been done on a population that doesn't include people like them at all. And so in bringing in machine learning type models, and they might be models to... Uh, translate a radiology image to see if there's a risk of cancer or a dermatology image image to see if there's a risk of, uh, sort of skin cancer um, or they could be more sophisticated models like um, you know reading someone's medical record to say are there notes in there that are particularly uh, representative of people of a, ter- um, of, a, of a certain risk category because those have been built on another population, they won't work as well for a, for a new population, and and we see, see see those sorts of things all the time, sort of starting to um, starting to come through. We haven't seen too many sort of major missteps in that in that uh, area, probably because health is quite conservative in actually automating anything. So you'll often bring something in relatively slowly, and you'll keep the human in oversight um, as part of the process. Um, so, so in so in general, um, you know, these models are are being brought in sort of one step at a time, um, but the the potential for that uh, to be causing some things that we don't even know um, is always there, um, because again, you're you're doing these things at a, at an incredibly high pace.
0: Right, and it seems like there is a big risk of relying too much on the machine as opposed to relying on you know what the provider knows and has learned and you know maybe some of the nuances of asking some more detailed questions.
1: Yeah that, that is true. I mean we should always keep in mind though the the alternative. So so machines can make the current process much more efficient and effective. So machines can process data way faster than humans ever will and it's only going to get a bigger difference. We just have to be very careful that when we ask them the machines to do that, um, we're not just replicating something that's less than ideal. So we don't the last thing we want to do is just more efficiently make the wrong decisions or or what we think of as widening the equity gap because the models work really well for people who actually are already quite well off and not so well for those who are in the sort of minority groups. And by nature, by nature of being in a minority, they're not well represented in, in what the machine can understand. Um, That already happens with humans. And so, you know, humans already have this bias towards what they're used to seeing. Machines will automate a lot of that uh, and we just need to make sure we're really careful about how we utilize that amazing power um, in a way that maximizes the benefit we get from them but protects us from those potential harms that could happen.
0: So where is it in the process that we need to consider some of the ethics? Is it when we're designing the algorithms? Is it when we are implementing the algorithms in some type of healthcare setting?
1: The reality is everyone has a responsibility right throughout this whole process and I think that's one of the things that's really come through in the last few years in this whole area of machine learning ethics, artificial intelligence, is a recognition that right from the very start of am I asking the right question with the right understanding um, through you know, my choice of where I get data from how I understand that data, how I interpret that data, what what type of models are going to be appropriate, what what are not, and what decisions I make along the way, right through to, hey, I've got an algorithm that I think I'd like to try on real people, and I want to understand, um, you know, how that that actually works. Everyone has a role to play in that, and the the main role in all of it is transparency, being really clear in our assumptions. Uh, We will always have to make assumptions. The the reality is, in, in health, we always give advice on incomplete information. So anytime you see a nurse or you see a doctor, they only know a fraction of what's potentially knowable about you or about your condition. That doesn't take away the responsibility to give the best advice they probably probably can. And it doesn't necessarily infer on them that they have to know everything about everything before they can say anything. So, So we need to just be really upfront about that and understand that health is an Uh, is an inexact science in that people will always give the best possible advice given incomplete information. And the best thing we can do is make sure that's really clear. So this is where this model was developed. This um, This is why it was developed. This is the setting for which we had in mind when we developed this model. Here's the data we used. Here's what we did with missing data because we didn't have everything we wanted. It wasn't there perfectly. Here's the decisions we made about the the model itself and this is why, and, and in all these steps asking us asking the question, who could benefit from this, who could be harmed by this, how might this be used in if it's ideal, and how might it be used if actually someone doesn't fully understand it and starts using the model in a way that's not designed but you can imagine someone actually picking it up and putting it uh, into their decision-making process. And again, in all of this, you you just want to have really good transparency, um, really open understanding and building into the deployment end really good tools to best explain what's happening. So one of the trade-offs we often find when we build machine learning models into practice is we could come up with a more accurate model. In other words, it would be more likely to, to detect the risk than not, but we can't explain it. Would we rather have something that's slightly less accurate but more explainable and often that takes really sitting down and understanding that well is the value in going from 85 to 86 percent accuracy is that more valuable than staying at 85 percent but being able to explain here's here are the reasons why the model came up with that and in a lot of healthcare contexts the the answer is you want to be able to explain as much as you can and perhaps part of the explanation is actually it appears the model um, here's another model where they can't explain, and this it would say that. And having a conversation with the patient uh, about that in some contexts, um, or with the organisation, and and really thinking that through. You know, what difference would it make to get to get it wrong a bit more often, but to be able to explain why we got it wrong, versus actually getting it um, uh, getting it right slightly more often, but on those ones where we got it wrong, we don't know how to explain
0: that. Right. I think there's something that's very scary about not knowing what is in that black box. <laughs> you want to somehow explain it.
1: Yeah, that's certainly true. Although, to be honest, we don't ask that question when we when we read people like you buy this book or people like you are likely to watch this movie. And people in society are getting more and more aware, at least, um, if not comfortable with, with the idea that Hey, it's just based on a lot of data and a lot of comparisons that happen out there. And I think there will be cases in healthcare where where that's totally fine. It's when you're actually sitting down, especially with someone who you consider to be a real specialist expert in the in the field, and you know their training is much more in the physical and biological side than it is in the data side. And they're the ones that you're trusting to give you advice. And, and often it, it'll come down to the type of relationship you have there. You know, they'll be saying, look, I've, this is what I can tell you from medical knowledge. This is what I can tell you from the data. Let's let's make an informed decision between us.
0: Where do you think the greatest innovations are in machine learning right now?
1: So machine learning is, is gradually sort of making those moves from the sort of the highly structured areas to to the much more sort of unstructured Um, i sort of think of this trajectory going from you know we used to always think of analysis being i know exactly what the question is i've got some data that gives me the inputs and the outputs and as an expert we get someone to choose the right statistical model in between to link those two things together machine learning sort of taking you the next step is I've got all the inputs, I've got all the outputs and I'm asking the machine to find the relationship and, and, and really, uh, you know, build the most accurate model. Ultimately, we'll get to a point where the machine is figuring out what questions even need to be asked. And you can think of that, you know, the sort of areas that that particularly is important for are things like a chat interface. So if you are presented with someone who's just starts out with, I'm not feeling too well, and then taking you through the conversation that a human might might take you through in in, in healthcare and actually helping you know take you through an unpredictable set of conversations that might include all sorts of different inputs some of which are really structured information like I've had this test and this was the number that came out of the test as well as just understanding the tone of the words you're using within that conversation potentially in, including things like, oh, I've, I'll take a photo of it now and, and upload it into the system. So machine learning is, you know, gradually taking us to this to this world where it can kind of replicate the, the interaction that you have with an expert. It's going to be a long time before it really replaces it. It's going to be more like an, a third person in the room uh, between, uh, you know, you've got your patient, you've got your advisor. And that advisor might go from having to be a real expert to being a generalist or from a generalist to being um, just a, a general carer um, to being a family member um, you know you sort of you can take down the level of expertise that someone's required to have if they've got a machine kind of helping guide that process um, so I, I think of it not as a, a replacement but an aid within within that kind of context so that to me those are the really exciting advances I mean the, the things that will that are already there at some some level are things like image processing. So you can you can train a computer really well on images. Again, take into account the fact that you'll have a bias set in the past, and you have to make sure you understand that. Um, but image processing is a reasonably clear yes or no type of scenario. This this needs further attention. Um, other structured areas like you know patterns within large populations in terms of lab results and these sorts of things. And you'll see this with COVID-19 and, and other areas like that, that there's so many tests out there with so many results that we'll, we'll start being able to analyze them in, in a way that a machine can really find nuances that it will take a human a long time to find. Um, but to me, those really exciting ones are the much more unstructured areas where, where you've got conversational uh, sort of systems coming along.
0: And where do you think we'll be in five to 10 years as it relates to machine learning and healthcare?
1: So I think there'll be, some disruptors in the in the sense of new services that come from the outside. It's one of those areas that the the system itself changes very slowly. But if someone comes from a bit outside the system, and by that I mean sort of te- you know technology companies that can come in with a very specific area of expertise that they can really help people with, um, I think we'll see a, a a whole range of those that people actually start to go to first rather than go to second. So at the moment you'll you'll still Find most people trust their PCP to, to give them the guidance of where to go. They'll often they'll Google things first or they'll look a few things up first, but then they'll they'll go through that person. I think you'll just you'll see the sort of the order of decision making move, and you'll you'll see a lot more applications that are very precise at a for a particular type of patient um, coming coming into there. Um, so I think um, I, I think what you'll see is a just a massive market um, that evolves, and those will sort of cluster towards groups of uh, models and, and organizations that kind of share their um, share their capabilities together. again, it's really fraught to to predict anything anything as far out as, as 10 years because if you you think back in 10 years um, the number of things that have changed in that in, in that time i would I would take the parallel of you know think of other service industries what they were like 10 years ago. Health might be about ten years behind, and so you'll see a similar sort of transformation in, in that time, whether it's your whether it's your sort of banking um, or retail or or travel or all these sorts of areas that we are now very comfortable, much less inclined to always go to that travel agent um, than we were and that's probably more like twenty years ago now. Um, but there'll be a lot more sort of computer first type of um, kind of thinking. Oh
0: well, great. thank you so much, Kevin. This is a great conversation.
1: Most welcome, thanks very much for your time.
0: Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. To learn more about Kevin's work at Precision Driven Health, you can follow the company on Twitter at Health Precision. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kay or at SmartHC Podcast. Feel free to get in touch with comments or guest suggestions. To listen to more episodes, visit our website at www.SmartHCPodcast.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. I'd appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.